Hello, this is the Glorious Hoof Podcast with your host, Lisa Aegis Gillibet. Today is episode two, Hoof Care 101 Basic Anatomy. Hey guys, I just want to ask for your patience a little bit with the audio today. I got a new microphone, I'm getting used to it, and also a little someone who's four years old uh, kept wanting to come in to talk to mummy, so I've got a little bit of chopping and changing. Uh, thank you very much and enjoy the episode. Hey guys, I'm just going to take you through a little bit of anatomy. Um, I really enjoy going through anatomy, well, basic anatomy with my owners. Um, and I normally go through all of this stuff with them over the course of the first few uh, visits uh, with them, especially if they're super keen to learn all this stuff. Um, and it will be a little bit hard uh, over a podcast medium because I like I, I use my I use my hands a lot to talk. I normally use the horse and get the owner in to palpate and feel what I'm talking about. But I think we'll I think we'll make it work. So um, next time you're near a horse, have a have a. When I talk about palpation, um, we're just gently moving, you know, feeling under the skin for these for these landmarks and these ana- pieces of anatomy. So anyway, let's dive into it. First off, I'll do the bones from um, from the knee down, and then. Uh, and then I think we'll concentrate on the hoof itself. So I think it all it all relates. Uh, the distal limb. So distal just means further away from the body. Proximal means closer to the body. So proximal is up, distal is down. When we're talking about the the the, the leg. Uh, so and uh, what the cool thing I think about anatomy is that um, you know with the horse it all kind of lines up with with pieces on our own body so I'll explain it like that so first off their knee matches up with our wrist the carpus in our wrist the carpus in their knee that's the same uh bony landmark so we'll start off with our wrist or or the horse's knee and then the next bone down is called the metacarpal or you know it's the cannon bone is the uh common term for it so the common so the Common term is the cannon bone, and it's also called the um, metacarpus. So then the next bone there is our fetlock, or the, the joint is the fetlock. So that that matches up with our knuckles. Then you've got, um, uh, you know, uh, phalanx, which means finger bones, I guess. You've got P1, P2, P3. It's the same as us, but below our knuckle we've got one, two, three bones. So that's the same as in the horse. Um, The P1 is the long pastern bone. P2 is our short pastern bone. And then uh, P3 is obviously the coffin bone, the pedal bone. Um, It's got a million different terms, but I normally call it P3. Um, You've got some other little bones going on there as well. So if we go back up to the cannon bone, on either side of the cannon bone, you've got um, your splint bones, one on the inside, one on the outside. Uh, They're also called metacarpals. metacarpal just means you know below the carpus and then the back of our fetlock we've also got the proximal uh sesamoid bones there's two sesamoid bones at the back uh which you know form that rounded uh fetlock and then you've got one more um sesamoid bone which is inside the hoof capsule it's kind of at the back of p3 down the bottom there, and it's you. You might have heard of this bone. It's called the navicular bone. It's called that because it looks like a little boat. So they're our main bones in in the limb. And 
you know, the bones are kind of like the puppet and then the tendons are the, the puppet strings. So to put it very, very simply, we've got um, two tendons at the front of the leg that extend the limb forward and they're called the extensors, nice and simple. And at the back of the limb, we have our two tendons that flex the limb and they're called our flexors. Easy peasy, right? So with the extensors at the front, they're quite easy to palpate with it and the horses don't mind you doing this. Well, I've not really come across a horse that wasn't injured and was okay, you know, to have this played around with. So you can palpate the extensors quite easily. Um, at the front of the cannon bone and just slightly to the outside, you've got a, a thicker one called the common extensor tendon and then you have a smaller one which is more on the outside called the lateral extensor tendon so it's called lateral lateral just means to the outside um and you can follow especially the the large one you can follow that all the way down the front of the cannon bone and you can feel where it starts to you know it'll get a bit mixed up with your soft tissue and whatnot but you can feel that very clearly running down the front of the cannon bone so it runs down the front of the cannon bone and attaches to the extensor process on the front top of P3, okay, and that pulls and extends the limb. Uh, at the back of the limb, you've got two tendons. Uh, one is called the uh, superficial flexor tendon. It's closer to the outside of the horse, which is why it's called superficial. And then you've got the deep flexor tendon, deep digital flexor, superficial digital flexor tendon, deep digital flexor tendon. DDFT is the, the common um, acronym for that. But um, deep flexor is a quick way of putting that. So you've got your deep flexor and your superficial. So there, when you lift the horse's leg up and just hold the hoof in your hand, you can softly palpate those tendons and you can feel they kind of, uh, 99.9% sure they share the same tendon sheath. Um, it's been a while since I've cracked open a limb, to be honest. And um, you can you can feel the superficial smaller. It has a smaller diameter and the deep has, has got a, like a larger diameter. And they're two long strings, uh, two long ropes, I guess, that run down the back of the leg. And you can feel them. They're all soft and wobbly when you pick the leg up. And then when you put the leg down, they, they feel very, very hard. So the deep digital flexor tendon runs down the back of the limb, over the back of all of the back of the bones and it runs over the back of the navicular bone over the, and then attaches underneath the bottom of P3, okay? And that's where it flexes the limb. So you have your extension that pulls on the on the extensor process on the top of the P3 and then you have your flexor which pulls on the bottom of P3 and you've got those opposing forces there. That's your basic puppet um, puppet and puppet string mechanics. There's no muscles. Well, there's not meant to be any muscles um, below the knee in a horse. Um, it's all controlled above the knee. Um, what else have we got? Last but not least is the suspensory ligament. Um, in my and you know that's just on the inside, closer to the bone as than the deep digital flexor tendon. So it goes superficial digital flexor tendon deep digital flexor tendon, suspensory ligament, com, uh, uh, cannon bone. Um, everybody's heard of the suspensory ligament, so that down front runs down the back of the leg and it attaches, you know, down further. I'm trying to keep this really simple. So that's that's your basic anatomy above and slightly into the hoof capsule. Um, 
moving into the hoof capsule is where it gets a little bit nitty gritty and there's a there's um, a lot of science out there and some of them are opposing. So I'll talk about different things that people um, that the science talks about um, and then I'll tell you what I think. All right, so um, just directional turns a little bit with the hoof. So you have your caudal foot, which is the back of the foot. Think the frog, the heels, the, the bulbs, that kind of thing. And then you have your... Um, like the front of the foot has got the bone in it, it's much more rigid. So basically the basic anatomy at the back of the foot is you have got um, you've got your, shall we do the inside or the outside of the foot first? Let's do the outside of the foot so you can relate the anatomy to the inside. So I'm sure you guys are listening to a hoof care podcast, you know what the frog and all that is, but I'll just run through it quickly. So you've got your frog, the big triangular piece, um, and you've got your heels at the back. You've got your bars that run next to the frog on the inside, and then they hook around at the heels, and then that runs all the way around the outside of the hoof wall and then back in the other side. So your bar is actually continuation of the hoof wall. It has lamina just like the hoof wall. Um, in the, um, you've got your heel at the back of the foot. You've got your quarters, which are, if the if the hoof is like a clock face, you've got your um, toe between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, and you've got your heels at the back. And between the heels and the toe on the sides, you've got your quarters, we call them. So, um some uh, some sources say that the quarters should be non-weight bearing or scooped or whatever, and some say that they should be weight bearing. Um, for me, I sometimes have them weight bearing. Sometimes I don't. I tend to follow the live sole a little bit when I'm trimming. Um, but if there, if I'm trying to push the trim a little bit and get some short toe or whatever, I'll, I'll sometimes use the quarter, the, the walls in the quarter, for them to to stand on something. Anyway, we'll get into that later on when I talk about trimming. So um, the back of the frog in the middle, you've got like a thumbprint depression in a, in a healthy foot um, and in unhealthy contracted feet, it can be quite a deep crevice and that's called your central sulcus. Then on the sides, the grooves along the sides of the frog um, where the frog goes down deep and then it comes back out as sole, um, they're called your collateral grooves. So lateral just meaning to the side, co meaning both sides, so collateral grooves. So I'll talk about the central sulcus and the collateral grooves a lot. Um, what else have we got there? Uh, on the bottom of the foot you've got your, um, your sole, obviously. Uh, sole in the front of the foot is quite important because it's underneath the, the tip of P3 and the, and the blood vessels at all you know, that I'll go into soon. Then with your hoof wall, so next time your farrier or trimmer trims your horse's hoof, get them to show you if you're not familiar with this already or you can Google it. Um, you've got your outer hoof wall, which is your pigmented hoof wall. In white feet there's obviously a lack of pigment, but it still looks like a creamy colour. Then you have your inner hoof wall, which is the bright white wall. Um, it's it. Some horses it can be very, it can be like a pencil thin line. Some horses it's you know, just as thick, if not thicker than the outer hoof wall, just depends on the horse and the genetics there. Then on the inside of your inner hoof wall, we have our laminar line, which look like little interlinking fingers. Um, and that is all you can see on the solar surface. But then inside, if you go further, like higher up the hoof capsule, where it's not all dead material, um, your laminar will actually, you've got your 
insensitive uh, hoof horn lamina fingers interlinking with your sensitive lamina, you know, um, blood vessels, nerve endings, blah, 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 um, on on the inside there. And they're interlinking, like interlinking fingers. And that runs down that they, um, you know, it's a very, very high um, surface area to volume ratio um, connection between the inner hoof, the inside hoof and the outside hoof. So that hoof capsule is very, very tight. It's very rare, but it can happen where a horse can put its whole hoof capsule off and just pop it off. That can happen, but it's really rare because that connection, even in a poor, in a, even in a sick foot is very, very tight. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of surface area there for connection. Um, so on the outside of the hoof wall, if you, the hoof's on the ground now, we're having a look at it. Um, your dorsal surface of the hoof wall is at the front and that should be nice and straight. And then you've got your periopal, which is kind of like the cuticle of our fingernails. It's that, um, in dry times, it can be very flaky and crusty in wet times. It swells up and goes a bit gray the periopal at the very top of the hoof wall where the coronet band is um the coronet band is obviously the very the 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 connection between the skin and hair and the hoof wall itself so um that periopal uh exists there that's the very outside of the hoof hoof wall but it doesn't it gets worn off and it doesn't um extend all the way down the hoof wall as you know same as our fingernail our, our cuticles it doesn't it doesn't extend very far that's the external anatomy of the foot um we talked about the heels we talked to oh, i mentioned the heel bulbs um horses shouldn't be standing on their heel bulbs they should be up off the ground um let's go inside so on the inside of the hoof we have got the back of the foot like i said is the plastic foot it's the movable foot it's the where most of the soft tissue is so in and all of this i'll talk about being in a healthy foot um a healthy foot should have a nice thick, firm digital cushion, which um, if you placed your thumb and forefinger, one on the frog when you've got the hoof picked up and one in between the heel bulbs and squeeze it, that should feel firm like a like an eraser, like, what, you know, a rubber that you would, you know, rub out your drawings with. Um, it should feel firm but, like, slightly forgiving. Um, then you have on either side of the digital cushion, Actually, no, let's stay with the digital cushion. Within the digital cushion, so when a foal is born, the digital cushion is mostly fatty tissue, um, adipose tissue. They call it myxoid tissue as well. I think Bob Bowker calls it myxoid tissue, which is just tissue that can turn into almost anything. But it's fatty tissue. And then with every heel first landing, every step a little baby foal takes, it stimulates some of those cells, some of those adipose cells to lay down um, well, I don't know if it's the adipose cells themselves, but, you know, I, I like to be accurate, especially if I'm recording myself, but um, I'm trying to keep it simple. Every time those little baby foals step, some of the adipose tissue changes into fibric, fibrous tissue. Um, and in an adult healthy hoof, if you cut open the digital cushion, um, there, there's like leaves of um, uh, fibrous tissue leading side to side so Bob Bowker calls that the chondropulvanale ligament or ligaments um but they're basically fibroid tissue that 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 
goes underneath the bony column all in the back of the foot. So that's your digital cushion. That's why it should feel firm. It's all that fibrous uh, tissue in there instead of fatty tissue. With an unhealthy foot um, that's not able to develop properly, it's it's basically an adult-sized horse with a foal foot. It's just squishy, fatty material in the back of the foot and it's it, do, it doesn't do its job properly. Then on either side, on the inside and the outside, extending from the heels and it, it, they're, they're like um, when I explain it to people, I use my hands, I cut my hands either side um, and you've got uh, the lateral cartilages. You can palpate these in your horse. Um, if you're looking at a hoof from the side and you've got, and you know, the back of the, the back of the foot where you would be, you know, you can, it's got like the depression between the, the heel bulbs and at the back of the foot where there's hair and whatnot. If you have a feel with your fingers, you can feel like a sheet, like a little, um, like an upright sheet of its cartilage. Um, and in a baby horse, there's just one layer of cartilage on either side of the, the, the feet with some big major blood vessels running through it um, from, from up going down into the bottom of the foot. Uh, and again, as the horse, you know, moves correctly and whatnot, the, there is another sheet of cartilage that grows on the inside of those blood vessels. So those blood vessels become encased in cartilage. And Bob Becker calls um, the cartilage on the inside that protects those ho- those blood vessels. He calls that, uh, oh, what is it called, hyaline cartilage? I'm pretty sure it's called. Anyway, it has a high moisture content. So it really protects those blood vessels um, that run down into the foot, in the back of the foot. Um, any anat- Like I'm looking at an anatomy book at the moment just to kind of give me ideas on where to go. And what does it say? Number 10, cartilage of distal phalanx and associated vascular plexus. Like there's heaps of heaps of um, uh, vessels, blood vessels going through that area. So there's that's the two sides. Now those fi- the fibrocartilage I was talking about in the digital cushion it actually um, attaches to those two um, lateral cartilages to create kind of like a sling, I guess, a protective sling for the bony collar. And a good healthy digital cushion will run all the way underneath the navicular bone um, and the lateral cartilages will run, you know, they're a good two-thirds of the of the length of the foot in a good foot and they're rather they're, I think they make up you know, in a, in a healthy foot, the width of them should be. I can't remember what it was Bob said. Um, I'm sure someone will will email me and tell me, but I, I like I think it's up to like a third or a half of the width of the foot should be made up of lateral cartilage in a, in a healthy foot. I should have looked this up before I started recording, but whatever. It's been a long time since I've um, listened to Bob's stuff on the quarter foot. Anyway, doesn't matter. So then... Um, what have we got going on other than that? So we've talked about P3, we've talked about the navicular bone, we've talked about the um, the um, uh, deep digital flexor tendon that runs over the back of the navicular bone and attaches to the bottom of P3. So the navicular bone actually has a bursa in between it and the, um, the flexor tendon. And a bursa is like a, a fluid-filled sac, I guess, to kind of protect the bone, protect the cartilage, protect the tendon. Um, and in a healthy horse, that's not inflamed and it's nice and, and healthy. And then there's also something called the impar ligament that attaches the navicular bone to the to P3, to the to the back of P3. There, I think there's another one that attaches to P2 as well. Um, 
but there's some major blood vessels running through the impar ligament as well, which is why we have horses with inflammation in the navicular area. It's a big deal because it shuts down a lot of blood flow. Um, the P3 bone itself is really cool. I've got some bones in the car that I pull out quite often and show my clients um, because they're like they're just so cool. So a healthy um, P3 bone will have some large holes for blood vessels to run through. It's highly vascular, the hoof. It's um, Pollitt, Pollitt says that there's more blood delivery, like that the hoof needs more nutrition or more blood delivery even than, or more glucose delivery even than the brain of the horse. So there is a huge amount of blood vessels in, in the foot. Um, and there's uh, underneath P3 between the bottom of the bone and the out- and the ground, I guess, or the sole of the foot. You've got like a very I apologize about that motorbike. Um, there's a underneath the bone. There's a um, a solar plexus of blood vessels, like a um, little waterbed, I guess, underneath there of blood vessels, and that's highly vascular as well. You've also got a really big, important um, vascular structure that runs around the outside of that pedal bone, the circular pedal bone, and that's called the circumflex artery, which is a really important artery as well. Heaps and heaps of blood flow. Uh, lots of people have seen this um, this picture, but somebody actually plastinated the blood vessels in a horse, in a, in a horse's hoof. Um, and if you Google it, um, there's heaps of pictures that come up of like ev- all the anatomy and everything is removed out of the out of the hoof, but the the blood vessels have been plastinated and in red plastic. And oh my gosh, it's just so cool seeing where all the blood vessels are in a foot. It's just awesome. There's a lot more in the back than in the front, um, but it, it's just so cool. It's so cool. The the for me. Blood flow in the foot and perfusion of blood in the foot is so highly important. Just seeing the, just seeing how how vascular the foot is, just blows my mind. It makes me so excited. And when I'm trimming and shoeing horses, I'm thinking about where that blood flow is going. If I'm, you know, if I leave my toe a bit too long, it's going to put excess pressure there. It's going to close blood vessels there. So, you know, the blood's going to flow to the back of the foot and we're going to get too much delivery there or vice versa, you know, cut your heels out too low and you get a big long toe running and, you know, it's just, you know, medial lateral balance, you know, I'm going to start going on if I just, it's just so cool. I'm going to stop there because I need a whole episode to do this. But anyway, so that's the basic anatomy of inside the foot what have I missed have I missed anything we did the bursa in ligaments with blood vessels going through there you got two big blood vessel holes going through p3 um, and lots of little ones ah here's something so p3 there's conflicting um oh we haven't even talked about the lamina we need to talk about the lamina we talked about it a little bit but not because it's controversial right so the lamina, like I said, it's it's there's insensitive lamina on the inside of the hoof uh, wall. It's made out of hoof wall material. You've got your sensitive lamina that interlocks with that. So there is a big, like, question mark over what the lamina do, why they're there, what 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 it actually is for. Um, I don't think that there's okay. Here we go. So Bob Bowker thinks that they are not that 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 the lamina actually create the hoof wall. 
And you see a lot of his slides and his stuff where the end of the sensitive lamina will actually pinch off and create tubules. He says that it creates the tubules, especially in a young foot, in a, you know, a developing foot. Um, so he says that not only do the tubules grow from the coronet band down, but they also grow from the lamina out, which is, whoa, super cool. Um, and he says that they're not there for um, suspending the coffin bone, but um, they're there just to create the hoof wall and and to attach the hoof wall to the inner structures. Um, other other science, and this is the more traditional view, um, other scientists say that the lamina are there to suspend the coffin bone or the P3 bone within the hoof capsule and that there's a huge amount of, this is Pollitt in particular, he says that there's a huge amount of glucose required for the lamina to sustain that connection and to sustain that suspension of the pedal bone in, in the hoof capsule um, and that they don't, that, that the lamina do not create tubules at all. Um, and that's that's like the complete opposite. Bob Becker says that the hoof, the bony column is, is, is supported from the ground underneath, the sole on the ground underneath, and Pollitt says that that's not the case. Um, it's suspended from the hoof wall. And there's arguments and science to back up both those ideas. Um, it's a really cool kind of thing to kind of uh, – investigate and read as much as you can from both of those great amazing scientists because I think that the more we know the more the more we think about it the more we can help horses right so it's generally understood that um, bones are covered with this layering on the outside called the periosteum it's a really important layer of connective tissue um, that uh, is important for um, nutrient delivery and, and keeping bones healthy I don't know a huge amount about periosteum but I do know that bones need it, right? So um, it's generally, it, it's, it's, you'll see it mentioned that the P3, that the pedal bone, doesn't have a periosteum. It lacks a periosteum. There's not this covering of periosteum, which is why when there's um, issues with the pedal bone, it, it can be so serious because it, it doesn't have the, the capacity to heal like other bones do. Um, or it doesn't have as much of a capacity to heal because, of course, horses heal from broken pedal bones all the time. Um, now, we see in dissections and when you when you process legs and, and keep the bones, a lot of them do lack, like when a bone is, you know, like a bone is shiny or it's got that um, shiny covering on it, that's the periosteum. And quite often pedal bones are lacking that. They look rough. They look like coral even and they've got quite a bit of, um, it looks like someone's come along with a little mini ice chip and chipped into the pedal bone and then just dragged it down a little bit as, as they've pulled themselves up the side of the pedal bone, like that, like especially on the sides and at the back of the pedal bone. Um, it's it's really it, some horses, some some pedal bones are significant, like they're very, they're like coral, they're very light and not dense and whatnot. So um, Bob Bowker disagrees with this no periosteum theory. Um, he says that they're in healthy pedal bones that there is a periosteum, but it's worn away by peripheral loading, so loading a horse on its lamina, um, as we do with, you know, trimming with long walls or placing a, a you know, rim shoe on, blah, blah, blah. Um, he says that the uh, periosteum on the bone and the soft tissue is is destroyed because the, the soft tissue that is normally, you know, softly connected to the pedal bone and, 
to the lamina, it starts become un- it starts to become unstable when there's excess um, peripheral loading or excess leverage. And so what it actually does is it um, it sticks little, basically, like I said before, little ice picks, little offshoots of material into the bone to try and stabilize itself on the bone. Um, and then when there's too much leverage over too long a time, that, that stabilization um, uh, becomes loose and it because it, it goes through the periosteum and it just it destroys the periosteum. Um, so that's something that's really interesting that's up in the air about who's and then again, I'm like, how like how are we in 2020 and we're still not clear on whether we should be supporting the hoof from the bottom or or from the sides? Like I just it blows my mind a little bit. So I was gonna say that I was I'm gonna talk about what I think. How can how can two great scientists and a bunch of other scientists as well have such opposing ideas and and get such good results um, with their opposing ideas? Like how can they how can they both be wrong? How can they both be right? Um, I with my daily trimming practice, I've obviously got a very strong Bowker background because I've come from the College of Equine Therapy and he's our main lecturer there. I've heard him talk multiple, multiple, multiple times. Um, and I have heard Chris Pollock talk um, two or three times now as well. So um, I just, the way that I implement the science with my trimming is uh, the result is how comfortable is the horse today? How comfortable is the horse moving today? Am I facilitating comfortable movement that's sustainable? for me. So um, sometimes if, okay, so if a horse has got a thin sole, it's got a thin sole, right? It can't be putting all of its weight on its sole. So without protection, it can't be putting all its weight on the sole. So what, what, what do I do in that situation? You know, we assess what kind of ground it's going to be on. We assess if it needs to have some hoof protection, um, I think I think that there needs to be some solar loading, but it needs to be comfortable and it can't be destroying the soft tissue and the blood vessels beneath the sole. You, ca- you can't compromise that. So sometimes you do need to use the walls a little bit, um, especially if you're in a situation where you have limited options for hoof protection because of, you know, budget concerns or the horse, you know, is not in an environment where it can, can hold, a, you know, a fancy shoeing package or whatever. Or, you know, the, the owner's unable to do boot care day in, day out because of whatever reason. So, um, but do I let my horses be solely peripherally loaded on the hoof walls? Like, do I have the hoof walls weight-bearing all the time? Mm-mm. No, not that either. So, uh, to be honest, I think that anything in the bottom of a horse's foot is meant to be weight-bearing at some stage, at some point of another. No, horses don't live on flat concrete. Like if you wet down your horse and then you walk it onto a dry piece of concrete, look at how little of that surface area of that foot is actually touching the ground. Very, very small amount, right? So when you have a small surface area with a big heavy weight, it's the same as so think of your whole entire foot on the ground and then think of being a ballerina up on your toes. It's the same weight but but when you're on when you've got your foot flat on the ground, it's it's you know x amount of centimeter squared um, surface area that you're that that you're you're having your whole entire hoof on. 
sorry, whole entire, my cats are arguing, um, that you got all your, your weight through. When you're up on your tippy toes, it's the same amount of weight, you know, 60, 70 kilos, whatever. But right on the tips of your toes, that excessive amount of pressure on that tiny amount of area is 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 going to it's going to cause cell death. We don't want any excessive pressure on any one area on the bottom of a horse's foot ever. It needs to be shared. That's that's how that's how I interpret the science with my my trimming and my shoeing and and whatnot. So, ex- avoiding excessive pressure is really important because it causes um, you know constriction of blood vessels. It causes cell death um, and you know. It, damage over time like how do you come back from that so that is how I I look at the opposing um the opposing science and try and as a like I'm I'm not a scientist I'm studying to be a scientist so this is what this is the kind of field I want to go into um eventually once I finish my degree and possibly gone on to do other things but I'm a I'm a hoof care practitioner I'm out in the field every day I'm trying to keep horses sound I'm trying to keep owners happy so keeping like there's the ideal and then there's what you need to do every day to keep horses happy and 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 that can be very difficult to reconcile so it it can be a very hard job none of us are into it because we don't like horses and we want to hurt them everyone wants to help horses everyone wants to do the best that they can and everyone is doing the best that they can with the knowledge that they have with the understanding that they have um and as long as your hoof care provider is continually trying to keep up with the current best practice with um, their area of expertise, uh, I, I think that, that you're going in the right direction. Um, anyway, I might start wrapping this up now. If anybody has any questions about um, the basic anatomy, sorry, the basic anatomy that I've gone through here, um, please contact me. Um, my contact details are at the end of the podcast. Um, and I'd love to start a discussion with this. But and anyone who knows uh, anatomy, if I've missed out on something really important, can you please let me know because I'll, I'll put it in a future episode. Um, anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening and I hope to hear you next time. If you have really enjoyed the podcast today and would like to get in contact with me, you could search The Glorious Hoof on Facebook. Uh, my Instagram handle is at the Glorious Hoof AU, or you could email me at lisa at theglorioushoof.com.au. I hope to hear from you soon.